Good morning, church. I hope you'll take your Bible this morning and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. At the end of the sermon, at the end of our service today, I want you to know, please stay tuned, we have an important announcement. We are hoping to begin live on-campus worship next Sunday. We've waited for this, and we are hopeful that next Sunday is the day. But there are some important things that you need to know. So after the sermon and after the songs, stay tuned and hear that important announcement. Hey, we have just finished our focus, our study, on the curious life of Joseph, the son of Jacob, uh, from the last few chapters of the book of Genesis. I hope that has been an encouragement to you today. I want to begin a brand new series as we walk our way through this summer, the book, the New Testament book of 2 Timothy. Now you might ask, why should we spend our summer focused on 2 Timothy? And there are many good reasons to do so, but let me share just one with you. When we read the book of 2 Timothy, written by the Apostle Paul to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, we are reading Paul's last message. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome. He had been arrested because he proclaimed, because he declared that Christ is risen. And so they arrested him, they threw him in prison, they took him to Rome, and now he is awaiting his execution. He knows that every day could be his very last day. And so he writes this message to his son in the faith, his last words, everything he's learned up to this point in life, one final message, one final sermon, and here it is, the book of 2 Timothy. I wonder if many of you have have viewed something or read the book about something called The Last Lecture. I know those connected with the university, certainly you have viewed or you have read this, uh, this piece. The last lecture was delivered by Randy Pausch. Uh, Randy Pausch was a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon University, a relatively young man, married, three children. Uh, Randy Pausch was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And the doctors told him that he would die, and he did. But before he died, he decided to give one last lecture. He wanted to leave something for his wife and especially his children, but he wanted to give one last lecture as well for his students and his colleagues. And so he took everything he had learned about life up to that point, and he put it in this lecture, and he stood and he delivered, I think it was 2007, September of 2007, he delivered the last lecture. Uh, This has become so popular. It is a compelling lecture. In fact, I looked this week on YouTube. It has been viewed by over 19 million people. The book that came out of the lecture uh, has been translated into 46 different languages, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 85 weeks. It is a compelling lecture, a compelling summation of everything that man had learned up to that point in his life. Now, 2 Timothy This is Paul's last lecture. Uh, And it is even more compelling than what Randy Pausch said. And it is even more popular. It has been read by way more people. And I want us to spend the summer focusing on Paul's last lecture. And I think this will be an encouragement to us. This will be a challenge. So today we start by looking in chapter 1, the first dozen verses. And we're going to start with something pretty profound. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but 
but I will. This will not be a popular message. Uh, nobody's going to send me a note or uh, send me a card when this is over, at least not a card of appreciation. But sometimes we need to talk about some issues that are fundamental issues, issues that are fundamental to our heart. It's easy to talk about do this or do that or God promises this or God promises that. But sometimes we need to address potential problems deep in our hearts. Uh, we need to talk about who we are and how we think about things. That's what these first 12 verses do. So today, we need to put on our thinking caps. This will not be an easy message, perhaps, to understand, though we'll do our best. But maybe even more important than that, I just ask that you will open your hearts to the challenge the Holy Spirit may give about some of the very basic understandings we have in life. If we will embrace this truth, life will look different. Life will be different. And God will be honored in our lives like he has never been honored before. Can you handle it? I think you can. So let's look, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin at the beginning. The scripture says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So this is written by the apostle Paul. Uh, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll see as we go through this that there's this very close relationship between Paul and Timothy. They were traveling companions for 18 years. Timothy was saved under Paul's ministry. They co-wrote some books of the Bible, like the book of Philippians. You may not have known that Timothy was at least part of the writing team for, for the book of Philippians. So they're very close. Look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul prayed often for Timothy. Uh, Timothy at this time is likely the pastor of the church of Ephesus. It was a very important church and a very strategic ministry position. So Paul prayed for Timothy and for his effectiveness. Uh, day and night it says. Look at verse 4. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So the last time they parted, uh, it was a tearful parting. They're very close to one another. Verse 5, he says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is also in you. We'll talk more about this in some, some later messages on the book of 2 Timothy, but there was a heritage of following the Lord in Timothy's family, and Timothy benefited from that. But then look at verse 6. We're going to get to the meat of the matter here. He says, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy had some special gift, and we know from other places in Scripture that his special gift was the gift of leadership and a gift of Bible teaching. Uh, God had especially uh, qualified Timothy to be a good teacher of God's Word. And so he had this gift. Paul then uh, instructs him in verse 6 to rekindle this gift. 
Now, Paul would not have told him to rekindle it unless it needed to be rekindled. Uh, Timothy, for some reason, and we'll see that reason in a moment, Timothy had allowed this gift that God had given him, this gift of service, uh, Timothy had allowed it to, to wane in his life. He had allowed it to, to be diminished. The fire was going out. So Paul says, Timothy, you need to rekindle it. You need to stoke it. You need to turn it into a, a, a raging fire once again. Rekindle the gift that has, that has been given to you. Now, why do you think uh, Timothy allowed this special gift to, to diminish over some period of time? Well, we're going to see the answer to that in the next few verses, but let me tell you the answer, and then you can be looking for it. Uh, we learned that there were two reasons that Paul allowed this gift, that Timothy rather allowed this gift to, uh, to atrophy. Uh, the, the first is that he was fearful. He was fearful of something. And secondly, uh, he was ashamed of something. So fear and shame, that's what led Timothy to allow his gift uh, to not be used as it should have been used. Now look at verse 7. Paul writes, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Now that's important. First, Paul says here that if you have a spirit of fear, if you're fearful and it is an irrational fear, or you fear that God will not do something that God has promised to do, that fear does not come from the Lord. That comes from somewhere else. Because what God gives is a spirit of power, of love, and of sound judgment. Now let's notice that there's a contrast here. There's fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there is sound judgment. God has given us sound judgment. And, and this is a little bit the chasing of rabbits, but, but I think this will help us to better understand the point that we'll get to in a moment. There is a big difference between fear, fear and faith, fear and faith. There's a difference between fear and sound judgment. So fear, sometimes fear is a good thing. Uh, for instance, the fear of the Lord, right? We should fear the Lord. We see that throughout Scripture. But oftentimes, fear is a bad thing, the spirit of fear that we see right here. But sometimes what people call fear is really sound judgment. And it's important that we, that we be able to tell the, the difference between the two. I'll give you an example. I do not fear driving my car. I don't get nervous about driving. I'm not anxious about driving. I hop in my car just like you do several times a day, and I just go, never give it a second thought. I do not fear driving a car, but I do put my seatbelt on, right? Now, when I put my seatbelt on, that is not an expression of my fear. That is an expression of my sound judgment. I, I'm not fearful to drive a car. I, um, I, 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 you know, it's a relatively safe thing to do, and I know people have accidents, and I could have an accident, but I'm not fearful of that, but I do exercise sound judgment, and I, I put on a seatbelt. Do you see the difference? I do not fear that somebody will break into my home and commit a violent crime against me and my family at night. I don't fear that. I never think about that. Living in a safe neighborhood never crosses my mind, but I do lock my doors every single night. We, we lock our doors. 
Now, is that an expression of my fear? No, that's an expression of sound judgment. There's fear, there's this ungodly fear when our faith is weak, but there's sound judgment, and these are different things. I saw something on the news maybe three or four weeks ago now. It was maybe longer than that. It was really at the beginning of this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic and how it was impacting churches. And some churches were meeting on Sunday and some churches were not. And so one journalist decided to go and interview someone who is about to attend an in-person service just to see what their thinking was. And so this, uh, this was not around here. I, I don't know where it was. It was a national news show. Uh, the journalist uh, walks out to a whole line of cars that are about to pull into a church and asks somebody to roll down their window. And it was, uh, it was an older lady, uh, a very older lady. And she rolls down her window, uh, obviously waiting in line to uh, pull in the parking lot and go to church. And so the reporter uh, said, ma'am, why do you feel that it is safe for you to go to church in the midst of this coronavirus with all these people? And she said something that just made me cringe. I, I'm sure she's a godly woman and you know, she, she reads her Bible every day. I'm, you know, I, I imagine that's true. And she probably didn't mean with these words the way most people would, would have heard them. But she looked at the reporter and she smiled. And she said, I am not worried about contracting the coronavirus because I am covered in the blood of Jesus. Now, <laughs> the blood of Jesus is one of the most amazing things. The blood of Jesus is the most valuable gift God has given to us. Our only hope is the blood of Jesus. But listen, the blood of Jesus will not keep you from getting the coronavirus. The blood of Jesus will not keep you from having a car accident. The blood of Jesus will not keep you from losing your job. The blood of Jesus is the most valuable thing we have. And, and, and we, we preach whole sermons and we worship God because of the blood of Jesus and its value because it brings forgiveness of sins and gives us the hope of heaven. But the blood of Jesus will not keep you from getting the coronavirus. You see, we get this confused way more often than we should. There's a difference between fear and faith, fear and faith, and sound judgment. And whether or not that woman should have, should have been attending that worship service was not a question of fear and faith. It was not a question of, is she going to be a woman of faith or is she going to be a woman of fear? No, that was a question of sound judgment. And we could debate whether that was good judgment or not. And some people would say, yes, she should have been there. And some people would say, no, she shouldn't have been there. That, that is not sound judgment. But that's not the point. I mean, you can debate exactly what is sound judgment, but understand that there's a difference between fear and faith and sound judgment. He says here that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us sound judgment. So as we said a moment ago, the Lord has not promised to keep you from having a wreck. So wear your seatbelt, take your vitamins, lock your doors, don't lick where somebody has sneezed. Let's be people who do not fear, but also be people who use sound judgment. Look at verse 7 again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment. Now let's, let's continue on. 
Uh, this gets, um, we get in higher weeds as, as we go. Verse 8, he says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Why do you think that Timothy might have been fearful and, and even ashamed? We see the fear in verse 7, the shame in verse 8. Well, I think it's most likely because of where Paul was. Paul was in prison for his faith. And Timothy might be thinking, I could be next. They arrested Paul because Paul preached the truth and declared that Christ is risen. Maybe next they will arrest me. They're going to execute Paul because of his faith. Maybe next they're going to execute me because of my faith. And so it seems that Timothy is suffering from some fear because of that. And he's, he's even ashamed because of that. And consequently, he's not exercising his gift as he, as he should be. So in the next part of verse 8, we're going to walk through this slowly. In the next part of verse 8, Paul tells Timothy what he should do. He's fearful. He's ashamed. Uh, my, uh, my, my mentor, my, my hero, my friend, Paul, has been arrested. A am I going to be next? And it has made him very reticent about serving. So what does Paul command him to do? Look at verse 8. We'll start at the beginning of that verse again. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying upon the power of God. What does Paul tell Timothy to do? He tells him to suffer. He says, share in the suffering of the gospel. Now, doesn't that seem like an odd command? Why would Paul tell Timothy to suffer? I thought the whole point of life was to avoid suffering. I thought that's what we thought about when we woke up every morning. How can I avoid suffering today? How can I have an easier life today? How can I avoid experiencing trouble today? I thought that was the whole point of life. So why now does Paul tell Timothy, suffer, suffer? Well, it's because avoiding suffering is not the goal of life, at least not, not for believers. Now, we're going to see this. Uh, fleshed out more as we read the next few verses, and we will read those verses. But let me, just, let me just give you Paul's point here. Let me just tell you what Paul is communicating to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, as long as your goal in life is to avoid suffering, then you will live in fear. If that's your goal, Timothy, if your goal is to avoid suffering, then you will live in fear, and you should. Because you might be arrested. You might be thrown into a dungeon. You might be executed. If your goal in life, Timothy, is to avoid suffering, then there is good reason for you to fear. But our goal is not, is not to avoid suffering. Church, if your goal in life is to live a trouble-free life, then I have bad news for you. The Christian faith offers you nothing. It never promises us a trouble-free life. It never tells us that we will not suffer. The way the Lord helps us to overcome fear is not to promise us that we will not have trouble. No, the way the Lord helps us to overcome fear is to give us something more valuable than fear to live for. Our goal is not to avoid trouble. Our goal is to live for something way more valuable, way more wonderful than that, and to keep our focus on this other thing 
And then trouble will come or trouble will not come. Trouble will be severe or trouble will be light. But our focus is not on the trouble, it's upon this other thing. What is this other thing? What is this goal for our lives? The goal for our lives is that Christ might be honored by our lives. The goal for my life shouldn't be to live a carefree, trouble-free life. The goal for Noel Deere's life, my goal for my life should be, how could Christ best be honored in, in my life? So what does the Christian faith promise? Now, when we talk about fear uh, and faith, we should have faith that God will keep his promises. We should never fear that God will do less than that. So what does God promise? Well, some would say, that the Bible teaches that if we will follow the Lord closely, if we will walk with the Lord, then we will live a trouble-free life. But I want you to know that that is false. That may be a Joel Osteen message, but it is not a biblical message. It does not comport with the teachings of Scripture, and it is not what those who we read about in Scripture experienced. Paul was close to the Lord, but his life was filled with trouble. Peter was close to the Lord, but his life was filled with trouble. That is the teaching of Scripture, and it is the pattern of Scripture. So here's the truth. If you will follow the Lord closely, then Christ will be honored in your life. That's the promise. If you'll follow the Lord closely, then Christ will be honored. And that is so much better than living a trouble-free life. That is so much better than avoiding all trouble, all suffering. Our goal in life is that Christ would be honored. That's hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to understand. I think especially in America because for so many, life is so easy and it's so trouble-free and it's so, so sweet and good and pleasant. It's hard for us to to wrap our minds around this. But the truth is, the promise of Scripture, if you will walk closely with the Lord, then Christ will be honored. That's what we should chase after. And you know, when we understand that, it makes a whole bunch of verses in the Bible uh, that we probably have um, wondered about, that we, have, uh, that we have not understood. It makes a whole bunch of verses clear. Let me just read a few of these. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. You ever wondered, what, is, what does that mean? It has, been, it, it has been granted on Christ's behalf that I get to suffer? I don't want to suffer. But I see now that, that suffering is, avoiding suffering is not the goal. The goal is that Christ would be honored. Listen to Acts 5.41. It says, they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, talking about some of the early believers, rejoicing. Now, why were they rejoicing? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name of Christ. It says they were rejoicing that they suffered. Well, why? Because their life was not... The goal of their life was not to avoid suffering. The goal was that Christ would be honored, and he was. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. All these verses so hard to understand in Scripture until we understand that one truth. The goal of our lives is not to live a trouble-free life. The goal is that Christ might be honored in our lives. Now, in the next four verses... Uh, 
Paul is going to explain to Timothy how this, how this works out. He's going, to, he's going to tell Timothy how it is that Timothy can live with the kind of confidence and the kind of assurance that Paul had. Paul suffered, but Paul kept on going and kept on serving. How, how could he have such confidence? Well, he's going to give Timothy this counsel, and I want you to see it. How do we live with confidence and assurance? Number one, we must suffer for Christ. And we've already seen that in verse 8. That we must suffer, we must share in the suffering of the gospel, we must suffer for Christ. How do we do that? How do we suffer? This doesn't mean that you, that you, you know, embrace some of these aesthetic um, practices through the years where people will harm themselves or cause pain to themselves. That's not at all uh, what this is talking about, and that's forbidden in Scripture. But what he means when he says we should suffer for the gospel is that we should put the kingdom of God ahead of ourselves. It means that we should serve the Lord even when we don't want to. We should serve the Lord even when it is not particularly fulfilling. People love to serve the Lord when it makes them feel good. And it will make you feel good. And I'm glad it makes people feel good. But to suffer for the Lord means we serve him even when it doesn't make us feel good. We give. To suffer for the Lord means we give even when we don't have extra. We give even when we're concerned about our own welfare and our own finances. We give. Not because it's easy, but maybe especially because it's hard. We give. We share. We share the gospel. We share the gospel even when the message might be rejected. We share the gospel even if we fear we may be ridiculed. We share. We stay faithful even when it may cost us dearly. We obey even when obedience may be painful. Paul tells Timothy, refuse to allow the possibility of suffering to keep you from being faithful. So that was Timothy's problem. He he was not being faithful. That's why Paul says you need to rekindle this. You need to stop fearing. You need to stop being ashamed. You need to get this thing going. Why, why did, did Timothy need to hear that? Because Timothy was allowing the possibility of suffering to keep him from being faithful. We must not allow that possibility to keep us from being faithful. Faithful to serve. Faithful to give. Faithful to share. Faithful to obey. Suffering should not deter us because we're not living to have a carefree life. We're living so that Christ might be honored in us. So suffer for Christ. That's the first instruction Paul gives to Timothy. The second is this. Identify your kingdom purpose. Identify your kingdom purpose. Now, we won't read all of this, but I encourage you to do so. Verse 9 and verse 10, uh, Paul talks about what Christ has done uh, for him, how Christ has made a way for us to have a right relationship with God. And then look at verse 11. Paul says, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. So he explains the gospel in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 11, Paul says, I have been called. This is what God has, has made me for. This is what God has, has charged me with. I am a preacher, a teacher, a herald for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knew exactly what God, God had called him to do. Now, with that in mind, look at the first few words of verse 12. He says, and that is why I suffer these things. How was Paul able to suffer like he did? 
Well, Paul was in prison. We'd have to go back and look at a lot of verses to see this. But Paul was in prison in Rome. But Paul had been given an opportunity uh, after he had been arrested. Uh, Paul had been given an opportunity to be free. But he said, no, I, I want to go to Rome and I want to stand and answer these charges. I want to tell the people in Rome that Christ is risen. Paul didn't shy away from suffering at all. In fact, listen to this. This is just a brief description of Paul's suffering. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. 40 lashes minus one is, is a way of saying that he was arrested and he was beaten within an inch of his life. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, the concern I have for all the churches. Paul suffered. So how was Paul able to do that? Why did Paul keep on? Why didn't he just quit? Why didn't he just, just go and, and vacation somewhere and, and just, and, and, and just quit, quit saying Christ is risen? Why, why, why is he pushing this so hard, so far? Well, he tells us we read it. And that is why I suffer these things. Because Paul knew that God had called him. God had created a, 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 a ministry for him. And because Paul had so carefully identified his purpose, he was able to suffer all of these things. When you know your purpose, when you find your calling, then you can endure any suffering. We need to figure out where we fit in the kingdom of God. We need to find a place to serve in and through the church, every one of us. Every one of us, we must know our role. We must search for opportunities to serve Christ in our neighborhood. We must ask the Lord how the workplace can be our mission field. We must not take coronavirus off. We need to know what God has called us to do. And when we have that knowledge, when we have that, that confidence, then we'll be able to endure any kind of suffering. That was true in Paul's life, and it, it will be true in ours. And then the third thing that Paul instructs Timothy to do. And this one is, 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 is a little more difficult to see, but it's equally important. It's this. We need to know that our deployment is active. Now, that may not make much sense until we see it in Scripture. Look, look back at verse 12. He says, and that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Paul says, I, I know who I serve I, and I am convinced, I am persuaded that God is able to guard this thing he's trusted. He's trusted to me until the very end. Now, what thing is this? What, what, what has God given to Paul and God is guarding this? You know the quick answer, and I, I read what many people had to say about this this week. Uh, the quick answer is to say that he's talking about salvation, that God is guarding Paul's relationship with him. Um, and it is true. It is true that God guards our salvation, and that we see often. Uh, that is clearly stated and promised in the Bible. But that's not what this is talking about. 
We know that because when we see how this phrase guarded the deposit or guarded the trust, we see how Paul uses it in other places. We clearly see it's not salvation, it's, it's his ministry. Look down to verse 14, which we'll get to next week if the Lord allows, but, but just take a look at it. He commands Timothy, guard the deposit uh, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So here he says that Timothy is to guard it. And then if you just look back a page, you probably don't even have to turn a page in your Bible, but there was another letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. He's talking obviously about... Uh, about his ministry, about the giftedness, the, uh, uh, the, the, the talent, the, the ability to serve the Lord. It, that's what has been entrusted to Paul. And that's what he's talking about when he says, God is able to guard it. I am convinced until the very end. Paul knew that his ministry, his, his opportunity to serve the Lord that God would protect that, that God would guard that to the end, it would never cease. Now, it would look different uh, here now. Paul's in prison, and so he's not out starting new churches. He's not out preaching to crowds, but he hadn't slowed down. He's writing letters. He's encouraging people. He's, uh, he's ministering to the prisoners in the, in the, uh, in, in the prison, uh, the prisoners, he's, he's, he's ministering to the guards in the prison. And, and, and we see that uh, evidence of that through the New Testament. He's, he, his ministry hadn't stopped. He, he believes that God has given him this ministry and God is going to guard it until the very end. Here's what we learned from that. We, we too are on active duty until the very end. God has given us a ministry. He has called us to do something. He has called you to do something. And to the very end, you need to do it. You are on active duty. You have been actively deployed. We must keep on. And like Paul, we must not let anything stop us. We can't say, well, it's the coronavirus. Or, well, I'm, uh, I'm in a different stage of life. Or, well, I'm sick. Or, well, I'm tired. Or, well, I'm busy. Or, my kids are young. Or, my kids are old. And we've got all kinds of excuses. No, Paul says, I believe God will guard this trust, this ministry, until my very last day. I'm going to keep on until God takes me home. Why? What's his motivation? Because the highest value in Paul's life is that Christ would be honored. That Christ would be honored. So Paul writes this very personal message to, to Timothy. And it is, it is going to be a joy to walk through it over the next, uh, if the Lord allows, over the next few months. Uh, Paul's going to have much to say to Timothy. But here's where it begins. Timothy, don't fear suffering. Don't let your fear that something may go wrong or that it may hurt or it may be costly. Don't let that deter you. Don't fear suffering. Instead, instead of making a trouble-free life your goal, make your highest goal that Christ would be honored in your life. Let that be what you aspire to. Let that be what you dream of. Let that be your driving goal. And Timothy, don't quit no matter 
what? That's his message to Timothy. Let me pray. Father in heaven, forgive me when I have made my highest goal to live a troubled, free life. Help me to live with every day, with every breath, with every ounce of energy you give me. Help me to live such that Christ might be honored in my life. Make that my goal. I worship you. I love you. And I want to lift you up and make your name famous everywhere I get to go and with every person I get to meet. Let that be my goal. Let that be our highest driving force in life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.